Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Welcome to this episode of Intersectionality. I am your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. And in this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be is informed by at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. When we consider and learn from the wisdom gained in the lived experiences of women of color, our view of God's kingdom is stretched, contextualized, enriched, and expanded. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. Well, welcome everyone to Intersectionality. We've been gone for a little bit and we're back, but we're back better than before because we have made some changes. And part of those changes include the welcoming of my new co-host, Liz Testa. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Liz. How are you? I'm so well, Angela. It's so good to be with you. Delighted to be part of this podcast. I am so excited to have you to co-host. I love having um, more people and more voices to think through um, these ideas. I had the opportunity, you guys, to meet Liz last year, probably about a year ago now, um, at the CBE conference in Atlanta. And so uh, just excited that she has chosen to come on board and be a part of our podcast team. Um, As you all can uh, have seen probably going forward, we've done some revamping to Mutuality Matters. Uh, So this is our first time together under this new format, but I want everybody to have some time today for us to get to know Liz a little bit. And we are just going to talk and Mm -hmm. uh, share a little bit. So we're going to start with... um, um, Liz, why don't you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and um, ministry life and all of those things. Sure. Well, I'm the Reverend Liz Testa. I live in the New York City area. Uh, and um, let's see, I am a minister of word and sacrament in a small Protestant denomination called the Reformed Church in America. And for nearly 10 years now, I've been serving as the denominational executive for women's transformation and leadership. I have also stewarded the work of equity-based hospitality and dismantling racism. So when you talk about intersectionality, Angela, that is something that is so important to the work that I do and really my heart's beat. And I see um, so much of a connection between hospitality and intersectionality, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, my um, my former uh, ministry experience was uh, I served 12 years on the pastoral staff at Marble Collegiate Church in Manhattan. And prior to that, I was in show business. I worked as a professional actress and spokesperson, and I am 
constantly delighted at how God continues to use my experiences in all of that, them, all of them, right? <laughs> in, uh, in the work that I do now. So it's, uh, it's been a long, um, very delightful journey to get where I am today. And um, I, uh, I had my own podcast, Lavish Hope Stories of Resilience and Overcoming. We had four seasons during COVID. And so I'm excited to be back in the podcast seat now co-hosting with you. It's so wonderful. I um, I can tell you guys, I've just felt like Liz is a kindred spirit um, in, in the things that it's interesting how God puts you on a path and then you meet others that are journeying a similar path. And, and it's just always like a wonderful heart connection when, when that occurs, because uh, much of the work I do is with women in leadership. And then I mm -hmm. also lead a social justice ministry um, here in the city with, uh, with our congregation. So uh, like I said, I, I, I felt like Liz and I are, are definitely kindred spirits walking this walk that God has placed us on. And so super, super excited to have you as part of the podcast. So today, instead of us um, having a guest, we decided we were just going to have a chat. We were going to have a conversation mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about intersectionality and why uh, we believe is such an important part or important aspect about what shapes us as believers, as women, as leaders. What, uh, what, wh wh why is this thing intersectionality such so key to um, understanding how we show up in spaces? So I'm going to kind of let you start back on some of that. Um, but but first, actually, let me let me kind of go to this first question I've been thinking about because when we think about intersectionality, it's really about all of our different lenses, right? That mm -hmm. and our different layers of who we are, and and the experiences that those layers uh, represent um, in our interactions with people, our interactions with life and our life experiences and developing those lived experiences and the narratives that go with that. So so one of my questions for you, Liz, is, is just that, like uh, when you think back on your faith journey, what mm -hmm. are some of the narratives, um, whether in your home or church life that you think really um, began to shape you? Well, it's such a great question. And for me, it is a very complex question. So I'm going to do my best to try to laser it, as they say. Um, the thing that's so interesting is um, when you think about this topic of intersectionality, my life has had a lot of intersection in terms of faith, in terms of cultural, ethnic, racial experience, many times tied to uh, my faith experience. And so what do I mean by that? I was raised biculturally in the United States and Spain. So I am a native bilingual in English and Spanish. I grew up very much with um, the culture, uh, Spanish, Latin culture. I also have um, a heritage in Southern Italy. So I have a very strong, what I coined, Latin Mediterranean culture. I have the Spanish language. And then having lived in Spain, that added layer of actually lived experience um, in the country. So that has put me in this kind of liminal space sometimes where I have this, you know, experience of one culture, then I have kind of general American culture, but then I also have an ethnic immigrant uh, experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, I married a man who is from 
families right from Sicily and whose mom is super still uh, preserved culture. So that for me um, has been like a huge part of, of, of like my identity and shaped who I am. And then you add in the faith traditions. So within my family, I have uh, my dad's family were um, Pentecostal. My mom's family were mainline American uh, congregationalists. And then I lived in Spain, which uh, at the time was under fascist dictatorship, where Roman Catholicism was the state mandated religion. So we had a very pervasive flavor of Catholicism and um, and all that that brings with it. And then um, I had also the opportunity to experience the Black Church. My most beloved friend of friends uh, from the time I was 10 years old, her dad was a Baptist minister. And so I spent time with her in her church and also um, going to Baptist music camp every summer. And so I just have like this whole kind of potpourri of experiences that very much make up who I am and how I experience our triune God as God, the creator, God in Jesus Christ, both as redeemer and as friend and guide. And then also as the, all the marvelousness of the Holy spirit. Uh, And I would say, having then been brought into uh, my home church, Marvel collegiate, which is very ecumenical, but firmly rooted. It's the first church in the Reformed Church in America from 1628. Um, And we've had to process what all of that means, actually. So there's a lot of other things in terms of dismantling racism and other isms that we've had to engage there. But um, on 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 the really helpful side is that it it was such a place with so many people from different types of places that have different types of spiritual expressions that has really helped me and then as i went into ordained ministry i had to get really clear on the reformed tradition particularly and john calvin who is our sort of father of our our branch of 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 protestantism was a strong pneumatologist or one who really engaged with the holy spirit so i have a reformed understanding of the holy spirit which then fits really well with like my lively Mediterranean self. And so I think all of that kind of ties in to the work that I do. And also, Angela, you know, we think about this intersectionality. I also think very, you know, as I said before, it, it bridges very much for me with hospitality. And part of my narrative as as a kid was like, I'm the little girl who doesn't belong because I'm mm-hmm. a lot of different things, but I'm no one thing, right? And mm-hmm. and when you think about sometimes the way that, you know, society wants to label us or wants us to be able to, as, as you had said before, check boxes, right? When we were chatting, um, mm-hmm. I kind of defy that. And um, so there's this deconstruction, not just dismantling of race, racism, ethnic bias, all those isms, but also kind of a deconstruction of it. And then so for so many of us that, have our feet in different worlds or who are made up of different types of experiences, how do we actually find that we're enough, that we can be everything and everything, not everything and nothing, that God will use all those aspects of who we are to God's glory and the upbuilding of God's people. And so I think that's where um, all of those different experiences and and, um, faith uh, experiences have really helped me to get where I am and to be... um, yeah, to be the the faith leader that I am. And so it's nothing gives me more joy than helping those from the margins find a place of belong, belonging, 
authentic community, purpose, and um, and hospitality. So I, I just marvel at how God took the little girl who didn't belong and made her a minister of hospitality. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine it. Yeah. Imagine it. I, I love it. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission. Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman who traded in purple linen. Paul met her worshiping on the Sabbath. After listening to Paul, she became the first European Christian convert. She then influenced her household of servants, slaves, and family to follow Christ. Her home became the first house church in Philippi and was the only church from which Paul accepted personal funding. Learn more at ministrywomen.org. That's ministrywomen.org. I think that's really important because when we when we understand kind of our stories coming into the spaces, uh, you you are correct. God uses all of our experiences, all of um, the learnings, uh, the positives, the negatives. All of it begins to shape us, and again, broaden our perspective beyond um, maybe maybe some of the things that we learned. Uh, in what you know, as you said, in, in one area or your experiences in one area, um, but just begins to expand that because it's it's interesting. Um, you know, you you go to seminary, you attend seminary, and you gain a certain degree of knowledge, or or we can say you you uh, you're you're faithful in your your church tradition and your learning in your Bible studies, but as we begin to live and interact and expand our minds. One of the things that I'm learning is that um, informal uh, teaching is as instructive as those things that we gain in our formal class time about who God is, who who is God and how God shows up um, in the valleys of your life, how God shows up to fight the battle, how God shows up to instill uh, within a person, that sense of worth when you don't feel like you are valued or you don't feel that you belong. And mm -hmm. uh, so how, I'm just kind of curious for you. I know for me, you know, it was um, it was interesting growing up. I, I remember always asking questions because I grew up in a faith tradition, small church, small black church. Um, my father was one of the elders in the church. My mother um, although women were not affirmed uh, to preach, my mother gave leadership to the women's ministry in the church. And, and of course, the women there in kind of the traditional roles nurtured the children uh, until you, we got to be kind of teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, but I remember always asking the question about women and mm -hmm. our roles. And my mother would tell me, well, sweetheart, there are traditions in the church that we follow, but they're not necessarily the will of God. And I was astounded by that, right? And 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 not that she said it wasn't the will of God, but it's not the command of God, I guess it would be. Um, she said, these are traditions. Um, and, and it would be simple. And I remember my daughter coming to me and me giving her almost a similar answer when she was about seventh grade, eighth grade, she was attending a a, a private school owned by a church and the girls were not allowed to lead prayer in general assembly. And she was very upset about why she couldn't lead the prayer. Only the boys get to lead the prayer. And so again, I had to kind of explain these things. And so um, it's, it's interesting sometimes, you know, and I think that for me, that was one of those things that put me on the path to really understanding. So what does God say? What, what, how, 
what is what is God's plan for women in the world and in the kingdom? So um, that was one of the reasons I was kind of asking you about narratives that shape you. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it, it's one of those things that has, um, you know, guided a lot of my research, my understanding, mm-hmm. and um, continue to uh, push me so that I because I want those young women coming behind me mm-hmm. to know that you are fully included in yes. God's vision of the kingdom. Well, and so, you know, that I, it's interesting when you say that, because as I think about all of those different um, faith traditions that sort of informed me and came alongside all of my cultural um, experiences, I, where gender is concerned, I, I really had lots of examples of women being able to live fully into their callings sometimes with barriers, but like, so in my home, I had parents who both had PhDs. One came from an inner city ghetto. The other one came from a farm town where nobody got any kind of advanced degree, right? So they had already overcome something, but they both were Dr. Testa. And Mm -hmm. so I experienced that. Now, did I experience um, and understand that sometimes there were inequities for, for, the Mrs. Doctor, because the Mr. Doctor sort of got preference in terms of like where he was called to go and lead in whatever university that was, that I was aware of, but they both were able to get, you know, to both were able to live into that defying some of their societal or familial um, sort of um, norms, traditions. And then um, my mom's church, she was active in her church, which was a, a, a UCC congregational church in upstate New York. and. We uh, I always knew women to be in leadership there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The um, African-American church that I was connected with, I never knew any differently there. Um, and that best friend also became an ordained, ordained minister of word and sacrament ahead of me, actually. So I followed my sister Paulette into ministry. So that was in that vein, I didn't. Um, I was not aware of it in my father's Pentecostal family. Um, they were uh, assemblies of God. So they did as of like early nineties, they had women in leadership, but they also sort of like dating back to Azusa street. I think they were, they were definitely women could live into their call. And then what was interesting was as a child in Spain, I did hear my mother say that there were challenges right in the Catholic church with women. And she did want to protect me from that. So mm-hmm. that, and I was young, I was in grammar school when we lived there. And so that was when I think I, I, so I heard around the edges, Angela, that there were places sometimes where women couldn't fully live into their callings, but, um, but I didn't quite understand until I came more deeply into the work of church that mm-hmm. I started to really see the places where there were barriers. Talk about that glass ceiling. And I started to understand that. And then as somebody who's always lived in a very multicultural, multiracial world, um, I started to see where that intersectionality um, showed up and Mm -hmm. where some women had different types of barriers. My seminary had sisters from the AME tradition, AMEZ tradition, and they did name you know, where they would go into a church where they thought they were going to preach and they were asked to preach from the floor. 
And then I met some of my Dutch descent sisters that are from the Reformed Church's Dutch descent. So very Anglo white, Northern European, lots of centuries in this country where they were in churches that were solidly complementarian and believed in male headship. And then of course the, the Latino world has, you know, Catholicism comes kind of from, from a Catholicism, but also very patriarchal. So I also started meeting my hermanas that also did not quite understand what being a leader and the church could mean for them. So I came from a place where I had only experienced personally really barrier-free opportunity, not always able to achieve it, but that there was barrier-free, there was, you know, full speed ahead. Then I started, so I kind of learned in hindsight, like after the fact Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. there were traditions that believed that scripture did bar women from being able to live fully into the offices, for example, um, to be pastors and to be elders. That's specifically the, you know, the male headship um, uh, uh, controversy, if you will. And so then be, imagine then my surprise that God was calling me into this work with the Reformed Church in America to help the denomination pursue the vision for the full inclusion of women's gifts influence and leadership in all areas of the church and beyond. I didn't understand that. And certainly from that point of intersectionality around around uh, uh, race, because we had gender and we had religion, right? But then the racial thing, because in my context in New York City, I had solidly diversity around me. And actually the people who ordained me, if I look down the list of the people who ordained me, they're all people from the African American or African Caribbean diaspora. So I didn't know. <laughs> there were a lot wow. of things I didn't know. So I, and that, and, and, but that's also how God equipped me to do the work that I've been called to do in these last 10 years. Hospitality mm-hmm. is the primary calling. And then all of this experience, being the little girl who didn't belong, having all this kind of cultural and religious experiences, and then having come out of um, what we call our classes, which is our regional area of churches and leaders, having been raised up to lead through that space, which was so diverse racial, ethnically, and tradition-wise, because many people were sort of adopted into the Reformed Church from other faith traditions. So I think that really put me into a great place to be able to seek understanding from those who were experiencing um, barriers, glass ceilings, what have you, and whose self-worth. Angela, what you were saying about that, I mean, women have, it's such a number has been done on women to make them feel less than. And I know, I know from my own experience, what that feels like and having to constantly try to press through it courageously purposefully, right? You have to believe God. You have to believe in yourself too, um, but without hubris. So um, I think all of that factors so much in, and we have such a wonderful opportunity in this current era, and especially through this beautiful auspice of Christians for Biblical Equality International Mm -hmm. and this Mutuality Matters to help encourage our sisters out there um, that God loves you and has a purpose for you. And you can overcome some of those systemic barriers and and internal ones as well. We have to overcome those spiritual saboteurs, right? That tell us that we are not capable. And it's interesting that you said that. I remember I was preaching for a friend of mine here in Houston. um, And I'm forgetting with with which faith tradition he was with. But um, we, we 
we became friends. We had been involved on some different committees um, looking at, again, um, uh, systemic injustice here in Houston and how what can we do as the faith community in um, bringing healing to the brokenness. Mm. And um, it was interesting because he said, you know, before I really met you and before I kind of became familiar with CBE, I thought this whole gender thing had been settled. I didn't even realize mm-hmm. the degree uh, of how many people are impacted, how many women are impacted um, by uh, this, uh, the teachings that somehow, again, create create a, a different class of um kingdom citizenry, if we want to call it that. And uh, it, it was it was very interesting to him that, it, you know, for him, that that it was something ongoing. And, and after his awareness, um, he kind of gained awareness, he became quite a champion. And I, I really appreciated that in um, helping others understand that God chooses us and God equips us. And we all have um, unique talents and gifts that he wants uh, for us to go and to share in this world, which which really, really kind of makes me want to ask. We're we're at such an interesting point, I think, in um in in our own society within the U.S., but even as you're kind of thinking globally, what's happening around the world. Um, so, what are your thoughts when when we think about intersectionality? Like just like you said, you've had all these different experiences and 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 it's like God's making a big old goulash and and now he's saying okay Liz this is how I poured all of these things in and this and and this is to equip you to show up in a particular way so as we're thinking about where we are uh, in this country um, especially I'm always very concerned about how we are in, in this um, U.S. A, that we claim to be um, uh, one nation under God. So what does that mean? How how are we as believers to show up? Mm. What is God calling us to do at this time? That's such, it's such a big question, right? It's a big so, question. So I think when I think about, you know, little old me, what God is calling me to do, to be part of that uh, movement, it you just reminded me of when I first started in this job. I came in and I was given that mandate, right? Pursue the vision for full inclusion. What does that mean? I knew that part of it was to help gather in people from um, the historical, intentional, perceived margins. And so one of the one of the places that I first found myself was at our racial ethnic councils um, meeting, which we have four racial ethnic councils in our denomination. One is African American Black uh, Council. We have the um, Asian Asian Pacific ministries, we have the um, the Hispanic ministries, and then we have our Native American council. So there I was to, to meet with all of them. And so I went into the Hispanic council and was excited to greet them in Spanish. And what came out of my mouth was, sisters, la mesa es para todas. The table is for everyone. Mm. And I said, our gran jefe, our general secretary at the time, Reverend Dr. Tom DeVries, Firmly believes this, men and women together. So sisters, la mesa es para I just kept saying that. The table is, you know, right? God's table, right? The Lord's Supper, yes, but also yes, the yes. proverbial table of making decisions and creating yes. ideas and all of that. And so then 
um, during our break, we all gathered in the hallway and they said to me, we're so grateful. We've been praying for you. And I said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And they said, no, we've not just been praying for you. We've been praying for you to come. We've been praying for a bilingual woman to come and lead this ministry for women's leadership so that we would have a bridge between what the bigger church is doing with the women in our pews. And of course, like the great telenovela, we're all crying. We're all like, oh, I love it. So we're having this beautiful, you know, sister moment. But that really gave me kind of my marching orders of, again, the little girl who, you know, right, where do I belong? How will my gifts help, right? Where will what I have to bring be enough? And this group of women were just literally setting me on my way. Like they picked me up and they set me on my way with like one of my first revelations of this is how I can help make a difference is to help our Latino Spanish speaking contingency, wherever they may be. This particular group was like in the Pacific, uh, sorry, in the, in the, um, in the North American Southwest. So Arizona, Southern California. And, um, but we also have a contingency here in New York city, but uh, so in that area in Arizona, a lot of those women are recently arrived. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of those pastors came over two years old, came over the Rio Grande on her dad's shoulders when she was two years old. So when we're talking about now, fast forward, right, where we are in the United States today, I see how God was preparing us by yeah. connecting yeah. me immediately finding my place of belonging with these Latina sisters who just welcomed me in and just understood, you know, all my crazy background, but were like, you're bilingual, you understand our culture, you're one of us. We are so excited that now we have that connector that we need. So it's this sense of bridge building, Angela, that I think is so important in our society. And as we look at some of the things that we have been going through in these last years, um, of course, we have racial injustice, all the things that happened since the summer of 2020 with George Floyd and, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, that whole thing, all of that that now we have to deal with and look at. Then we've had the Native American, all the revelations we've had. Canada's also been having kind of a, a, a come to Jesus, if you will, of that uh, of that being exposed. And then we also have this whole thing of um, huge issue of how do we welcome the stranger? How do we welcome folks in? How do we help people cross our borders and find belonging here? And how do we do that well? And so I guess as you're, you know, as you're just asking that question, I see that, um, you know, there's lots of other ways in my life and in my ministry that I do those other things as well. But that is one way where personally it meant so much to me. And now we actually have churches from the Americas from uh, Central and South America that now want to become part of the Reformed Church. So now we're going to have to become the Reformed Church in the Americas, not just mm -hmm. in America, because um, we now have Latino churches that want to come and be part of us. That's part of also our Gran Jefe is now um, a Nicaraguan who also holds a Canadian and a U.S. passport, uh, Reverend Eddie mm -hmm. Aleman. So we have now in our denomination become more racial, ethnically diverse. And so, again, as the U.S. is trying to understand how do we do that, 
I'm grateful that we, even though we're still trying to figure it out, it's bumpy, Angela. It's not easy, right? We we just, it's not easy. We have to keep striving and pressing in and being gracious and forgiving and healing and all the things, right? The transforming things, but honoring intersectionality and welcoming in those from the margins and helping them find their place of belonging and finding those of us who are called to be bridge builders between cultures to help and create kind of a holistic place where all people can belong. I think that's the ticket for all of us in this world today that we live in, and especially for our United States. I think that's a way that the church can show up and say it's both and, not either or. Not either or. I love it. I love it. Well, oh my goodness, we are at our time already. Oh my goodness. It goes so Uh, fast, as you said. (laughs) But Angela, I feel like you have to just say a little something yourself about how you, that, that, like, what do you think about that? Um, You know, how do we, yeah. Honestly, it's, it's really so much of what you're saying. I I believe there's um, God. So for the church, you know, there's always this big discussion around the relevance of the church. And I think that the relevance of the church is going to come in this moment right now where Mm -hmm. we are able to begin to show how to stand together, how to see everyone as a child of God, Mm. how to um, learn to do the gracious acts of forgiveness, how to do the gracious acts of sharing privilege uh, and utilizing privilege on behalf of others so that others are taken care of and provided for because Mm -hmm. we are all connected in this time um, and understanding that um the kingdom life is quite different than a what life looks like uh usually presented in the world Amen. so when when we are talking about kingdom life it turns everything upside down so <laughs> how do we live into that that the last shall be first and the Amen. first shall be last how do i begin to live into that what does that look like so i and 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 that's why i say i think lifting up the voices on the margins those people who have traditionally or groups who are feeling that i'm not centered i'm on the outside and bringing everyone opening that up and bringing everyone's voice and saying what your experience is legitimate and is valuable your experience is legitimate and valuable and how do i begin to um um show god's love in each one of these circumstances and so that all of us can experience this lifting this 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 hope of the future that God says that he has for all of us and um and and be committed to this these values of of love compassion grace mercy justice equity all of those things mm-hmm. are the god that we serve all of those things uh, that steadfast love of a god who continues to hunt us down right and mm-hmm. and chases us down um to me, when I think about intersectionality, that's what I see in that is mm-hmm. that we bring these layers of who we are uh, not to separate, but to pull us together and to learn from how do I become better? How do I learn um, and embrace and see others? How do I learn to see others beyond what my own uh, life circumstances may be and how, and then as I see them have compassion 
and build that bridge for how do we 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 walk together lifted um together so for for me that's 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 my hope for intersectionality and and where god is working for us to, for the church today i i think if we can um understand um that these stories these narratives all have value in helping us be more like jesus um, and and living that out on a daily basis, that that to me is incredibly valuable for us. It's fantastic. And I think this is the whole relevancy that you're saying of intersectionality, where we are not doing it as the world does it. But this is our, I always say, this is our godly and gracious response yeah. to this. Yeah. And I think that is key because in the in some areas of Christianity, intersectionality honestly is a dirty word, yeah. if I may say that. And so we have to almost reframe it. We have to repurpose it, reclaim it for God's yeah. for God's plans and purposes, and then help people to understand that we're not trying. We don't have any political agenda here, and 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 we already know, as you're saying, to be a follower of Jesus Christ in the 21st century is is pretty revolutionary right and so we have to be ready to help turn over some of those um worldly worldly concepts and reclaim them for for the kingdom so absolutely. fantastic i love it absolutely absolutely well um for those who joined us i hope that you have enjoyed the conversation today liz and i have we could talk all the time you guys <laughs> um uh, and so we are just happy that you all have have joined in and we hope that you will continue to join in on our uh, upcoming episodes as we are moving through this new year. But in the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support all of the members of our, our podcast family. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You can also go to our website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, our magazine and academic journals, watch videos and listen to audio of past com conferences and events. And you should go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton, and I'll say it again, a ton mm -hmm. of talented authors um, about all of these subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your own God-given talents in leadership and in service to the gospel, uh, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I'm Angela Raven Anderson, and this is... And I'm Liz Testa. <laughs> this is Mutuality Matters, Intersectionality. <laughs> yes. And we also want to give a shout out to Landon, who is our support tech. Thanks, Landon, because he makes Thank us you. sound great. And the entire team of CB International that makes this podcast possible. As Liz said, we are Mutuality Matters. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. 